Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Sif Heider, the founder of Array. I'm a wellness entrepreneur and digital creator, and this is my show, The Dream Bigger Podcast. Listen, I love dreaming big, but you know what I love more? Actually having the resources to make those big dreams happen. And hey, Dreams can sometimes be private jets, but other times they can look a little something like having the best skin of your damn life or starting a successful business or delving into spirituality. So on this podcast, I chat with experts and thought leaders from different fields about their tips and tricks on doing exactly that. So let's get right into it. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Dream Bigger Podcast. I am so happy you're here because I have an incredible episode for you today. So I've referenced this list I have before, but if you're new here, even before I launched the podcast, like back in 2018, when it was just an idea, I started this list of dream guests that I would really want to interview. And these were just people who I thought had really interesting ideas and whose knowledge had really shaped who I was and who I thought would bring a lot of value to my pretend listeners at that time, because this was even pre-podcast. And one of those people on that list was Gabby Bernstein, who, if you don't know her, is a best-selling author, a speaker, a spiritual teacher. And for me personally, she has been instrumental to who I am as a person and my foray into manifestation and spirituality and all of that. So, you know, back before even this podcast was a real thing, I had always dreamed of interviewing Gabby and today's interview kind of had that dream realized. And so, you know, a quick reminder to everyone that sometimes your dreams don't come easy or like quickly rather, but keep at it and keep working hard towards it and you never know what will happen. So I, of course, am just so stoked to bring you this interview with Gabby Bernstein. She is such a bright light and um, today's interview is around her newest book, which is called Happy Days. It is all about going from trauma to inner peace. And she talks a lot in this book about, you know, discovering the fact that she had dealt with something pretty traumatic, which we'll get into in this interview and kind of recovering from that, doing a lot of inner work and coming out the other side stronger than ever. And we discuss all of that. We discuss big T trauma, small T trauma. And I think that it's just a really, really informative interview, which I hope will bring you guys a lot of value. My first intro into Gabby Bernstein's work was back in 2015 when I read her book, The Universe Has Your Back. And it was, I think it just changed me as a person, if I'm being honest, because it made me go from someone who 
I, I don't know. I think I was just an anxious person. I was always, I think I was just a little bit more of a victim. And this book was really my intro into thinking that like, okay, I can actually take control of my life and there is a co-creation process with the universe. And yeah, I've just been in love with her work since. I've read all her books, really. Judgment Detox is another book, which was really important in how it shaped my life. It made me someone who is just not really bothered by what other people think of me or say about me. And I just things roll off my back and it's really shaped who I am as a person. So, you know, I'm a big fan of her work and her latest book is absolutely incredible. It's really different from the kind of stuff she's written about in the past. And I think it's really important because, I mean, she's talked about this in her other books in the sense that like doing deep inner work is really important in the way we manifest. But this book is like a real life example from her reality and like how she recovered from something extremely traumatic. And, you know, in this interview, we get into all of that. And I ask her about her recent pregnancy loss and how she navigated that with the lessons that she learned throughout her trauma recovery journey. So she addresses that. She is absolutely incredible and open book and you guys are going to love her. Before we dive into the show, let's discuss this week's hot tip. So it's actually completely free and very simple, but it is to get outside. And maybe this isn't like the coolest hot tip, but I really do think that getting outside every day, even for a little bit, is so important for how we function, both from a productivity standpoint to mood, to overall creativity, like it just does wonders. So over this last weekend, Mish and I spent quite a bit of time in Malibu, um, just spending time outside. And like I came back into the city feeling like a changed person, like it just nourished my soul being by the water. And I know that not everyone has access to water, but like, you know, you you have access to the outside, most of you, I hope. So that's my tip for this week. And before we dive into the interview, let's talk about this week's review, which comes to us from Melissa and Faith. And she says, new BFF. Every week, I look forward to a new episode with Sif. She is so genuine and I feel I get so much from her podcast. Whether she is sharing her own personal routines, rituals, etc., or interviewing a guest, she is so informative and giving of her knowledge. She really interacts with her guests and is not just shooting off a list of questions. Must listen for those of you wanting to elevate their day. This is such a nice review. Thank you so much, Melissa. And to all of you guys who haven't yet left a review, please take five seconds from your day. And if you feel like the show has brought you value, rate and review the show. All you have to do is open your Apple podcast app. You may already have it open. Scroll down to the bottom where it says rate and review the show. Give me a five-star rating and tell me what you like about the show and what's resonating and what you want to hear more of. It helps the show grow. It helps me bring you guests who you really love and talk about topics that bring you a lot of value. So it really does help me as a host kind of inform the way I am like doing my interviews and the kind of material I'm bringing you. So if you do have a minute, please, please review the show. It would really, really mean the world to me. All right. And with that, let's welcome Gabrielle Bernstein to the Dream Bigger podcast. So the first thing I want to touch on as we start this conversation is by talking about trauma, because most people, I feel like they don't realize they have trauma. So can you explain the concept of trauma and how everyone has it? Yeah, let's start there. That's a good place to begin. We all have trauma, period. (laughs) And I think we're living in a time when it's most accepted, more accepted than ever before. 
I don't think it's any accident that my book, Happy mm-hmm. Days, The Guided Path from Trauma to Profound Freedom and Inner Peace is out now, right now, when we've lived through crisis, we're continuing to witness extreme crisis through everywhere we go, in the news, in our own lives. And when we have those experiences in life, like living through COVID or witnessing war, we don't have the same coping mechanisms that we always had. And so in that place of feeling sense of unsafety or uncertainty, our old historical traumas can get very activated. So actually first, before I even ask my next question, I wanna ask you to differentiate between little t trauma and big t trauma, because I think that when people think of trauma, it's more so like they think, oh, I'm fine because I never had this like massive life altering event, like a death or, you know, abuse or what what have you. And so if you can differentiate between the two, that would be awesome. Very good question. So we all have trauma and some people we have more extreme trauma than others. And big T trauma is living through a catastrophic event or being abused as a child or having some kind of sexual assault. Whereas small T trauma, it could be being bullied, being told you're stupid or not good enough, not feeling unconditional love from your parents, not feeling seen by your parents. It's like kind of the human condition is small T trauma. And then big T trauma just happens along the way for some of us. And we... Even living through COVID is a small T trauma. Mm-hmm. I was yeah. with yeah. a lot of moms yesterday on a flight out to Florida, and I was just hearing a lot of them share about their COVID experiences. And while they had all the privileges in the world to get through it, it was they were really traumatized. And I could just hear in their recall of it, all of it, that it was really, really hard. And so we lived through a collective trauma. We continue to live through a collective trauma. So we have to kind of begin there because... In order to undo the patterns of our past and become free and present and brave in the moment, we have to be brave enough in this present moment to look at what we might be running from and the storylines and the inner belief systems of not being good enough or being inadequate and all the ways that that may be playing a role in the way that we live, the way we work, the way we earn, the way we love, the way we brush our teeth shows up everywhere. So in your book, you shared about a memory that came up of you going through childhood sexual abuse. And how did that come up? Can you share a little bit about it? Was it because the climate was so kind of like, was it because of COVID and like everything that was going on in the world? Like what happened there? I actually did not. I remembered it when I was 36 years old. So that was in 2016. Okay. Okay. I got sober in 20, in 2005. So 16 years ago, I got clean and sober off of cocaine and alcohol. And at the time, I didn't know why I was a drug addict or an alcoholic. I just didn't know. I didn't understand it. And when I put down the drink and the drug, I picked up a lot of other addictive patterns like workaholism or codependency. And even, you know, in some ways, my spiritual practice became almost like an addictive Mm -hmm. practice at times. And I was surviving and thriving even in the midst of that, but I didn't know why I was so anxious and I didn't know why I was always trying to get out of whatever feeling I was having until I was 36. And I started to, on the outside, everything looked great. I had written six or seven books. I'd been on Oprah. I was getting married. I was planning family and I was just cracking on the inside. I was dying on the inside. 
And I kept cracking and cracking and cracking. And then a few months into that, I had a dream. And in the dream, I remembered I was an adult confronting being sexually abused as a child. And I woke up and I just was like, nope, never going to look at that again. That's way too real, way too scary. Don't want to touch that. Mm -hmm. And then come a few days later, I'm in therapy. And in the conversation with my therapist, it came out and it became real and it became true to me. And I accepted the truth of what I had remembered. So in my case, my trauma was so extreme that I dissociated from it. And that can be very common. You know, one of the ways that we run from trauma is to tell a new story. That's not the story, or or literally the brain can dissociate temporarily, but it doesn't mean that it leaves your body or your nervous system or the way that you live. And so remembering the trauma was the first step and to recognizing, oh, that's why I was an addict. That's why I've been so extreme. And then in the last several years, I've been really devoted to my therapeutic practices and spiritual practices for undoing the traumas from the past so that I can sit here with you right now being very present, very steady, very calm, free of anxiety, free from the historical trauma and new, truly new. Do you feel like the reason it took so long for you to come to terms with what had happened or like even have that memory surface is like, and the reason it took so long was because you'd kind of built up some resilience due to your spiritual practice. Do you feel like there was any correlation there? Yes. Yes. My therapist explained to me that the reason I was able to remember at that time was because I was safe enough to remember, but also I was being activated into the memory because of things. that. So one of my ways of protecting myself from that memory was to try to control every corner of my life. And so if I was in control, I wouldn't have to face those impermissible feelings or memories the control was kind of being dismantled because at the time my husband was leaving his career in banking for, he'd been in banking for a decade and he was leaving Mm -hmm. to run my business. So that was have to let go of control there. We were talking about family planning. That was like very scary for me at that time. I didn't actually end up delivering my son until three years later because I needed to really get out of that that place. Mm-hmm. And, but, but in the ideation of it was just already triggering me. And so it's often in these big life events that traumas can be returned and restored or recollection of them. When someone's getting married or when they have a divorce or if there's a big career change or just big changes in life can be the catalyst for dissociated memories to come to the surface. And even now, if you have a trauma that you've never even named a trauma, you never really thought about or dealt with, but now you're living through COVID and you've now witnessing the uncertainty on the news with Ukraine and the the empathy of taking on those wounds and the feelings of fear and uncertainty and powerlessness, it's very likely that some of your historical traumas, listener, you, maybe everyone listening, are starting to come to the surface, whether they be feelings or experiences that you just wrote off as just something that happened in the past, or if they're literally like mine, unresolved memories that you could not even tap into at the time and now they're coming forward. This is Amanda Hirsch from the Not Skinny But Not Fat podcast. You might know me from Not Skinny But Not Fat on Instagram, where I spend my time talking about reality TV, celebrities, everything happening, and pop culture every Tuesday, okay? I also talk to some of our favorite celebs and reality TV stars. We talk about what's going on. Tune in every Tuesday and just feel like you're talking with your best friends in your living room. 
It's so interesting that you say that sometimes trauma surfaces when people are going through big life events, because I remember hearing about like a friend of a friend who remembered that she had dealt with sexual assault when she was giving birth. That's a very common thing. Very common. Really? It's extremely common for birthing to be a catalyst for memories, repressed memories that are sexual in nature. That's insane. So we're talking about big T, but I actually want to move over a little bit and talk about little T trauma, because I think we all live with these triggers. So how can we even, I guess, identify what our triggers are, move past them and live kind of like move through those blocks, if you will. In the beginning of the book, I start to help the reader recognize their triggers and what they feel when they're triggered and then the ways that they run from those triggers. And the reason that this is so valuable is because we can't even notice that there's something underneath the triggers if we don't even have the awareness that we're triggered, Yeah. right? So a trigger is when we, when we get super activated. So for some people, it might be when they're at work and their boss tells them that they're doing something wrong. They get really defensive and freaked out. Or when the news is really scary. Or a trigger could be when a guy doesn't call you back and you start feeling super fearful and anxious and then you do everything you can to try to restore that connection. And so we all have these different triggers that are a reflection of moments in our life in childhood typically where we did not feel unsafe and the triggers are reflective of those memories of those experiences of not feeling safe. And then we have these really scary feelings that get activated, but we don't feel the feelings. And instead of feeling the feelings, we do something over the trigger. We eat, we drink, we rage, we self-sabotage, we attack ourselves, we attack the other. We do whatever we can to protect ourselves from feeling that impermissible feeling of that trigger. And in the beginning of the book, I just helped the reader start to recognize, notice the triggers, notice the feelings behind the triggers, and then notice how you run from the triggers. What are the ways that you're trying to cope and protect yourself from these triggered experiences? And if someone wants like a taste of the book, how can they move through a trigger? Say like I've identified that, I don't know, a trigger of mine is being told what to do, for example. Like how do I move past that? So there's a practice later in the book that's that leans on internal family systems therapy, which is otherwise known as IFS. And in the book, I share all these different trauma healing therapies that I've used, and now I'm trained in some of them. And I share them because I want to say, hey, this is how I got out, mm-hmm. and here's how you can too. So let's say you have these activated triggers that are coming up for you. There's three things you can ask yourself. You can Start by noticing the trigger, noticing it, and just noticing where does it live in your body? What does it want to do? What is it? What does it have a color, an age, a gender? Where is it near you, far away from you, inside you? Just get really curious about it. And then what do you know about it, right? So I know that it's five years old, or I know that it's been happening whenever people tell me I'm not good enough, or I know I know this, I know that. And then what does the trigger need in that moment? Letting that triggered part of you speak up for itself. I need to be hugged. It may say, I need to take a breath and go for a walk. I need to journal about how angry I am. I need to speak up for myself. And so those questions, notice, no, need, 
are ways of just tuning into the trigger rather than running from it. Because so much of what we do all day is run from, run from, run from. But what if we were just in that practice of notice, know, and need to start to give ourselves permission to look more closely? It's really interesting that you say this because I think it was last year I came upon this practice whereby anytime I felt emotional, like angry, right? Or like whatever that feeling was, I started to identify, like instead of labeling the feeling, I would identify kind of like physical things and give it like a storyline, if that makes sense. And I felt that that really helped take me out of the feelings and figure out where I was at and what I needed, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because what happens is is we have these exiled parts of us that are young little child parts of us that get activated in different situations, like I said earlier, and they all get, we all get activated differently depending on our childhood. Yeah. And if we just live in that activated state and then the, you know, protection of the feeling, protection meaning like addiction or running or shopping or yelling, raging, whatever, if we just live from trigger to reaction, trigger to reaction, we're never going to help ourselves. We're never going to soothe ourselves. We're never going to get back to a place of safety. So we're just going to live from trigger to trigger. And so when we start to notice the parts of us that are in that protector mode and we start to connect to that or notice the feelings behind the trigger or do anything to interrupt the pattern of trigger and trigger response, that's when we start to create some change and start to self-soothe and relax and gather the energy within ourselves to start to access more safety and a sense of serenity within. If someone is literally dealing with a trigger real time and like they've gone through the exercise of like identifying what triggers them and like they have at least that awareness, what can they do in the moment to like, like, do you recommend like stepping away and kind of like doing what you need to move past it? Yeah, I I don't like the language of move past it. I want to be careful there because it's actually become curious about it, extend Mm -hmm. compassion towards it, be calm in the presence of it. So if you're in the midst of a trigger response, one thing you can do is just place your hand on your heart and your other hand on your belly. And it's either your right hand or your left hand on your heart, whichever feels most soothing for your nervous system. And in that heart hold, you can just breathe deeply and you can ask yourself those questions. What do I notice? What do I know? What do I need? You can breathe in that space. You can allow yourself to notice where the feeling lives in your body and breathe into the feeling for 90 seconds. There's a lot of ways to interrupt the pattern of the trigger so that you don't have to run from it, but instead self-soothe in the moment. Why do we have this tendency to even run from our triggers? Because the feelings behind them are so impermissible. They're little child parts of ourselves that we've put under lock and key because they're feelings of shame, they're feelings of rage, they're feelings of terror, they're feelings of inadequacy, feelings of being unlovable. And we will do anything we can to numb out, push down and avoid those feelings. I guess it's like our our ego or body trying to keep us safe. Well, yeah, in this case, it's the protector parts and the parts that are keeping us, that are activated and so riled up, addiction parts and workaholic and all that are there to exactly, like you said, protect us from feeling unsafe. Do we have other parts of us? Like you talk about the protector part, like do we have like other kind of mechanisms? Yeah, so we've got the exiled parts and we have the protector parts. 
And then we all have this part of us known as self. And that's self with a capital S, which is the truth of who we are, the love of who we are. Self is an energy. It's compassion. It's curiosity. It's calmness. It's creativity. It's committed. It's connected. And when we become the witness of those triggers and those, re and those protector parts, and we have the ability to begin to witness them and bring to those parts of us compassion, curiosity, calmness, that's when they can begin to soothe and they can relax and be less extreme. So the heart hold is a way of calming the protector. The notice and know and need is a way of seeing and soothing the protector and, and, and caring for. And the even words of you're doing the best you can right now, compassion towards that protector part. And so in the book, I really outline all the ways that we can create that direct access from that energy of the self-serenity, that calm energy to these parts of us that need that support and that connection. Can we do certain exercises or things every day to access ourself? High, high, yeah. like the capital S self. Yes, 100%. That's such a great question. And in the book, in, in chapter seven of the book, I introduce all these IFS principles and I give, I have a self meditation to, to tap into self energy. But the best thing you could do really is to tap into those C qualities, the courage, compassion, curiosity, creativity, calm, committed, connected. And when we're in those qualities of self, we can begin the journey of really living and getting to know and attuning to that part that's always there. So you could ask yourself in the morning, in what ways could I be more curious about my internal needs? In what ways could I be more compassionate towards myself? What can I do that's creative? What, where, where is that creative energy within me? And tap into those C qualities because that's how we restore that direct line of communication to that self energy is to lean into and live from those C characteristics of calmness. And so calmness could come through breath or meditation. And this book is actually a bridge back to self, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. truly. You know, Gabby, we're talking about all of this kind of stuff. And your book, I think, is an incredible book because it is about spirituality and like who you are as like a teacher of manifestation and spirituality. And you go really deep into some of this work, which, you know, isn't necessarily like pretty work, if that makes sense. Right. And I think yes. that manifestation almost has this like bad rap sometimes where it's like, oh, like love and light. And you're just supposed to be positive and like never really like go into the deep work. Whereas I actually think that the deep work is where you see like the massive shifts. Because for me, for example, I told you like a little bit offline that I've been reading your books for years. And like, I've, I've been in this world for a while. And it was over the winter break that I actually did a course for the first time. And I did like this like very deep work and realized that I had these like feelings of unworthiness because I was bullied as a child. And like, I would have never known that had I not 
actually like done the deep work, you know? And so as a manifestation and like spirituality teacher, can you share to like, do, do you have like any idea like why there is this like, I guess like divide or like disassociation almost? First and foremost, the greatest manifesting practice is the deep inner work. Because when you do the deep inner work and you come out the other side, you come out in a new vibration. You come mm -hmm. out more free. You come out less activated. You come out more relaxed. And in that relaxed, joyful presence, you become what I call a super attractor. And so while I've written books about manifesting, they were never void of that internal work because mm -hmm. it's that internal work that is what gets us back to the place of alignment with our super attractor power. And so that has to be first and foremost. And I think that there's a lot of instances where people might be spiritually bypassing the deeper work by thinking, oh, well, if I just think it, it will be, or if I, if I focus on the good stuff, only focus on the good stuff. And yes, all that's very valuable. And I think that when you do lean into the positive, it's very, very beneficial, but you can't override the deeper work. And for some people, that manifesting practice may just be step one. The spiritual practice yeah. may just be their first introduction to what else there may be living underneath the surface. And hopefully with that foundation, they'll be guided to a book like Happy Days. And it's beautiful. It's almost like my other books had to come out before this one did because I think I needed to get the buy-in from the reader that, yeah, mm -hmm. I want this. I want to feel better. And I've done some foundational work to get to that place, just like you, right? Mm -hmm. And I've read the book, you've read The Universe Has Your Back, I've read Super Attractor, I've read whatever, I've had eight books before this, you know, they've probably helped people. They have helped people. And then now, oh yeah, this is, this is go time, Gabby, let's do it. Let's go to the different, let's be brave enough to go deeper. And with that spiritual foundation, there's a great opportunity to go a lot deeper. I also feel like, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, Gabby, but like, I, I almost feel like in order to like actually like move past these like deeper blocks, you actually have to give yourself time and like a safe container to do it because, you know, it's one thing like, okay, I journal or I meditate for like 10, 15 minutes a day. The other thing is, okay, like I'm actually going to like focus a day or a few hours of my energy into like moving through this or like figuring out what's going on because it's not easy, you know? It's not like just I can do it for 10 minutes and move on with my day, if that makes sense. Definitely. You cannot just play around for 10 minutes and move on with your day, but 10 minutes is actually excellent, even if that's all you've got, right? So one minute of reflection is a step forward. Mm -hmm. But yes, the more time we spend dwelling in the energy of our genuine capacity to grow and heal and become resilient, the more free we become in our nervous system and our body and our presence. And so it's very valuable to have had that connection, that faith, that spiritual foundation before you begin this work. But it's also not yeah. necessary. I mean, you can begin this work wherever you are, all that's really required is a willingness and a bravery to go there. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. Can you manifest without having done this inner work to get through these blocks? You can manifest things into your life, but you may not keep them because you don't believe you're worthy of them. Can you dive into that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, if you think it enough and you know, you start to change your energy and your behavioral patterns, and you'll start to attract things into your life. But 
you'll attract that partner. But if you still still don't feel that you're worthy of that love, then you won't keep the relationship or you'll attract that client or that job. But if you don't think you're worthy of that abundance, then it won't last. So we have the power within us to energetically call in what we desire. It's just, are we going to be capable of making that the habit? Because the truth is we are all super attractors. We all have the capacity to be manifesting all the time. It's actually our natural state, but even in crisis, right? So right now I have a follower of mine that's in Kiev and she's been messaging me every day. And, you know, the guidance and the counsel I'm giving her are focus your energy on what's in vibrational alignment with what you want right now. It, you know, it's like st- ground yourself in that steadiness, breathe into that feeling, move it through you. And a lot of it is in this moment of crisis for her about visioning positive thoughts, not negative thoughts, because the truth is, is that the more present she is with the possibilities and her ability to be a creative thinker or to let inspiration move through her, the more she'll receive guidance to make the right choices in this war that she's stuck in. But when she gets out of it, then the deeper work has to begin because we, in those moments, particularly in moments of crisis, these manifesting methods are excellent because they give us a point of attraction that is necessary to get us out. Mm -hmm. But if we have the freedom in this moment to really create this sustainable, long-lasting connection to that source, we want to make sure that we're doing the inner work while raising our vibration, right? So being positive and being in solution and being in affirmation and being in visualization daily is mandatory for freaking sure, because it's going to give you the strength and the resilience to do the deeper work that is also manifesting work is, is where I'm going. And in times of crisis, we can use these methods brilliantly because that may be all we have in that moment. The concept of self-sabotage, do you feel like it happens when we fail to do the inner work and we're attracting those things because we've raised our vibration, but maybe we don't feel like we're worthy of keeping those things? That's right. Yeah. So we'll say we'll self-sabotage. We will get, yeah, we'll get in the way. We'll create chaos. We'll do something, you know, or we'll get everything we want and then we'll pick up a drink or, you know, we don't believe we're worthy. And those feelings of unworthiness are so unbearable because they have not been restored or healed mm-hmm. that it goes straight into, whoa, I've got some stuff I got to deal with now. Right. Or it goes, or it goes deeper and worse, which is I'm going to just run from it all. Gabby, in your book, in chapter nine, you talk about the concept of reparenting yourself, right? Which I think is a very, very powerful practice. Can we dive into this a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. This is a beautiful chapter and it's towards the end of the book. And the whole book is really about relating to connecting to the internal parent within yourself. Mm -hmm. And we all have that self energy that we've been talking about. And when I got to the end of the book, I was realizing at the time I was doing all this parenting work for my two-year-old son at the time, he's three now. And I was practicing a lot of these methods of Dr. Dan Siegel, and I was practicing Mm -hmm. the four S's. So helping him feel seen, soothed, safe, and secure. And they were working so beautifully because when he felt seen and when he felt soothed and safe and secure, he could just relate to me. He could calm down, the tantrum would subside. 
And so I thought about it and I was like, wait, what if I started practicing these methods on myself? Why wouldn't I just redirect this back onto myself? Mm -hmm. I did. And it was brilliant. And I write about it in the book because it's just such a profound act of love towards yourself when you can give yourself that opportunity to reparent yourself. So when people think of like, just we're talking about it, someone might think, oh, like I, I only have to reparent myself if I've come from like maybe a troubled household. So what are your thoughts there? Because I actually think that that doesn't have to necessarily be your background. It can just be that you went through shit as a child, you know? Everyone needs to go through the journey of restoring child memories, experiences that were not tended to and cared for. Mm -hmm. And we can't necessarily expect a partner or lover or parent to do it for us as adults. When we're children, yes, we should have that expectation and often we don't get it. But as adults, we have to do it for ourselves. And I say everyone needs it because we do. This is a time for collective healing. We're living in a time when there's so much fear and uncertainty and trauma running the world. The trauma is running the world. Mm -hmm. So if we as leaders in our own life don't care for those child parts and reparent ourselves, we're going to live and lead from our own traumas. If someone does want to kind of look into this practice, can you give us a little bit, like a little taste of what's in the book under reparenting? Yeah. Yeah. So I would get into the practice of checking in with yourself internally. How do I need to see myself? How could I see myself today? The answer could be, I need to just, you know, write a few things that I'm proud of or out loud acknowledge that I've done something big, you know, or just, or just hold myself and, and give myself a hug. How do I need to see myself? How can I soothe myself today through meditation, through a walk, through breath work, through taking a, a long lunch break? How can I feel safe right now? How can I make myself feel safe? And asking yourself that regularly, you know, reading this book or listening to this podcast or being with a friend that makes you feel safe. And when you answer those questions, you start to create a secure environment for yourself internally. And that's when we start to reparent ourselves. It's so funny that we're talking about this because... I had another guest on my podcast. I don't know if you know Sarah Landry from The Bird's Papaya, but we were talking about this exactly, that like, you know, we check in with our partners, we check in with our kids, we check in with our friends, and we rarely ever check in with ourselves to like figure out what are those things that we need? Like, have you eaten? Did you sleep well? Like, what do you need right now, you know? Yeah, we don't check in with ourselves unless we start to make that a priority. Mm -hmm. I check in with myself all day long now, but for years I didn't. I would just override and override and push past and move through. So and, yeah. And like also, I don't think it necessarily needs to be when there's something like going wrong, you know? it's It can also be like when things are okay, like just to kind of get into the habit of it, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Like being in the daily practice of communicating and connecting to the inner parts of yourself is the greatest gift you can give yourself in times of crisis, but also in times of grace, because why don't you just make that moment even better mm -hmm. by yeah. caring for and loving yourself in that practice? So Gabby, before we wrap, I actually want to ask you a question about dealing with trauma in real time because, you know, you lost your baby recently and 
again, like, like I'm so sorry. Like when I saw that, it really broke my heart. But you, like, did the lessons in this book help you get through that? And how can someone help themselves get through a traumatic event as they're going through it? Yeah, it was actually supposed to deliver this week or next week. This was my delivery period when I was supposed to have my child and I was five and a half months pregnant when my, my three-year-old is screaming in the other room. But I was five and a half months pregnant when I found out that, this, that my son Owen was not growing the way he needed to be. And so I had to let him go. I went through a lot of the dissociation and checking out and traumas, but the beautiful thing was I was able to witness it. I could see, oh, my friends would say, why aren't you crying in this moment? Why are you so positive? Oh, because I'm dissociated right now. And my dissociated part is fucking awesome. And she's doing a great job in this moment. Mm -hmm. And she's not going to stay here forever, but she needs to be here right now. And I was able to literally just dive into my toolkit of all these methods and practices that are so ingrained in my psyche and habitual way of being as a human that I was I continued to be able to move through that grief with so much grace. Mm -hmm. And within a week or two of the experience, once I'd had the DNA and recovering from the surgery, I could really ground myself and look at this experience and say, holy shit, Gabby, this is what you've been training for. And you've spent years counseling women on this kind of loss and everything that you've shared with them is right here for you right now. And it really shows how resilient how profoundly resilient we can be in times of crisis and times of trauma when we make the devotional commitment to do the work when we're not in those times, right? Yeah, It's easy to do the work when you're like, I got nothing else. But when you've been doing it and doing it as a committed life practice, when shit hits the fan, you have the level of faith and, and grace and resilience that needs to be there for you. Yeah, I couldn't agree more because I think that if you build that foundation and you're committed to that practice every day, when things go wrong, you almost have this like superpower to reframe and not kind of play a victim forevermore, if that makes sense. Yeah. And to let yourself be where you are in the moment and have this arsenal of tools that you can just grab whenever mm -hmm. you need them. Yeah. It's very powerful. So Gabby, before we wrap, I want to do a rapid fire round. So just three short questions and you give you can give me like one, two sentence answers. So the first question is, what is one practice that's been instrumental for your spiritual growth? Meditation. So yeah, it's a good one. And actually, I'm going to do a follow-up. If someone has never meditated, what's a good place to start? Read the book, Happy Days. What's one habit that's a non-negotiable for you? Non-negotiable. There's a few. You can give me two or three. <laughs> yeah. So non-negotiable is get a good night's sleep. So sleep hygiene. Okay. Non-negotiable. I think I'll just leave it at that one. That's probably the most, the most non-negotiable for me. I actually love that answer because it's just not talked about enough and it impacts how we function on a day-to-day -day basis. It's impacting everything. If you could recommend one of your other books outside of Happy Days from your collection for our listeners to read, which one would it be? The Universe Has Your Back. Amazing. Where can everyone find you? DearGabby.com is where you can find me. You can get the book anywhere you get your books. You can follow my podcast and listen to me at DearGabby.com or my podcast is called Dear Gabby. So you can just find it wherever you get your podcasts. Amazing. Thank you so much, Gabby. Thank you for these awesome questions, sweetheart. This was wonderful. 
Thank you so much for listening. If you loved the episode and feel like it brought you value, don't forget to rate the show and leave a review. It takes five seconds and really helps the show grow so I can keep bringing on awesome guests. If you want to follow me behind the scenes, you can find me on Instagram at Sif And don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss a thing. I drop new episodes every Tuesday, so come hang with me and shoot the shit with some really smart people, learn and unlearn, and have a lot of fun. See you next week.